This is Aspire, Arc Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship. Today, our guest is Judy Goggin. Judy is a key leader at Encore, a national nonprofit organization building a movement to make it easier for millions of people to pursue second acts for the greater good. Encore calls these performances Encore Careers, jobs that combine personal meaning, continued income, and social impact in the second half of life. Judy leads Encore's College Initiative, a program that encourages the nation's colleges to create innovative pathways toward Encore careers in healthcare, education, social services, and the environment. Judy is the architect of Encore's Next Chapter concept. She's also the co-author with Meg Newhouse of a wonderful publication, Life Planning for the Third Age, a design guide and toolkit. Judy has worked in the field of aging and lifelong learning for more than 30 years. Prior to joining Encore in 2001, she worked for 18 years with Elder Hostel, now called Rhodes Scholar, where she served as vice president for U.S. programs. Judy began her career in the field of continuing education, where she was involved in the early development of external degrees and credit for prior learning at colleges in Oregon and Colorado. She speaks, conducts workshops, advises national organizations, and writes for publications in the areas of aging, higher education, civic engagement, and Encore careers. Judy, thank you so much for joining our conversation today. It's a great pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to be with you as well. Thank you so much. That's great. I would like to begin with your background. And just to, to take us back to the beginning, how did you first get interested in the aging process and lifelong learning? Well, I uh, was beginning to pay attention to the fact back in the 1970s when I was working at a small liberal arts college uh, for the president who was also paying attention to the fact that the population is aging and that the population as it's getting older is going to be healthier and better educated moving along into those years, uh, later years, which was was pretty novel at the time. And she asked me as a, a staff person to her to try to develop some new thinking around how that the college might address this aging population. And back at the time, in the mid-70s, uh, there was nothing like Elder Hostel, which is an education program for people at the time over 60 that combined education and travel for people who were already retired. And so she encouraged me to learn more about that program, which I did. Uh, and eventually I became involved with that program nationally, you know, which consumed a good part of my own career eventually. But the whole idea at the time that that people as they were getting older had an interest in education or would continue be interested in continue to learn and be in an active mode was really thought of more as a, a cute and interesting idea. But most of the focus at the time on getting older was around decline and disability and not the positive aspects of aging. So it was that positive feature that really attracted me 
to get interested in that program and, you know, commit a, a significant part of my own primary career to uh, promoting that program and helping build the idea of education later in life, but, um, but also to begin a, a new focus that on the positive aspects of aging. Now, one of the things that's intriguing to me about this is that you actually um, develop this interest in aging and lifelong learning while you're a young person. And, and do I have that right? Yes, I yeah. was in. I think I was in my early 30s at the time. So I'm curious whether you have any, also any uh, people in your family or anyone in your experience that was sort of a role model for you or someone that you saw as a young person that you said, wow, you know, here's a person who was able to really do something interesting or exciting um, as a second act. I mean, was that part of your experience or did this come as a, as more as a, as a policy uh, interest? How did that manifest? No, it was a part. It was a part of my experience. Most of the older members of my rather large and extended family were very active people who stayed engaged, although they they didn't have access to much higher education. Uh, they continued to be self-directed learners. My father, for instance, was unable to complete college for health reasons, but never stopped learning, uh, never stopped uh, being curious. And he, in particular, was a great role model. But even the generations older than my father, um, grandparents, great aunts and uncles were, were keenly curious and interested. So I had good role models there. And then when I met the first group of people who attended an elder hostel program, those were the people at that moment in my 30s that I said, wow, I want to be like that when I'm in my 60s or my 70s. And um, somewhere along the line in working with this population of people who were really eager to get up and go and continue to learn, I looked at them and I remember saying to myself, these people who are vital and dynamic and healthy didn't get that way by starting at the age of 60 or 55. They started when they were younger ah. and they paid attention at younger ages or maybe they fed those desires and kept, they were active then or, or always looking ahead and being positive and looking forward. And I remember both in terms of health and, and sort of mental stimulation, I, I said to myself then, I'm glad I'm getting this opportunity now because it's teaching me something by watching these folks. That, and the lesson for me was they didn't start later, they started younger. That's that's very interesting. So so it sounds like the the people that you were exposed to both in your own family and then through Elder Hostel had a big formative impact on your on your interest in this. Um, tell me about Elder Hostel. It, it's uh, you were there for a long time. Almost, I guess you could almost even describe that as as a first or a second age, maybe uh, engagement for you. And um, I'm wondering about your experience there and uh, your passion for this for this field. You know, how did that intersect with Elder Hostel and and contribute to its organizational development? Well, um, it was. Uh Probably the case that um, I'm all, I've been throughout my life attracted to new ideas and innovative ideas. And so the fact that Elder Hostel in the mid-70s was a novel idea and it was 
breaking down some stereotypes about what older people wanted or what they would enjoy or what they would participate in, even pay for, was pretty revolutionary. And so just from my own personality type, I was drawn to something that was going to be innovative, but also change the way people thought. And, and in this case, about a whole, a whole demographic part of the part of um, Americans in particular. So the it, it just was a it just was changing a norm. And I, I enjoyed and appreciated being a part of that. Uh, so that the success that we enjoyed as we built from a program when I joined it had 12 programs in the country to a thousand programs when wow. I left in 1981 with wow. 275,000 people participating in these week long and at that by that time international programs as well. It was a real high and for me personally, but we could see the progress and we could see the impact of making these opportunities available in the first place for people. And then secondly, making a statement. Um, it also made a statement, which is why the connection to the work I'm doing now in higher education, at colleges and universities, there were a thousand educational institutions by the time I left there who were participating with in offering elder hostel programs. And they were changed as well, changed their attitudes about people um, at this stage of life and, and the fact that they not only were interested in continuing to learn, but had a lot to contribute by uh, what they brought to the classroom. It turned out the experience was always fun to talk to people on the campuses who would say, um, I, I always enjoy teaching these people the most because not only are they eager learners, but many of them know as much or more about a subject than I do, or they were there when something happened and could actually contribute their own experience. So wow. um, it turned out to be a pretty joyful experience in most cases for the for the faculty in particular who were connected to these folks. So here's a question I really wanted to ask you, which is you've been working in this field for such a long time and looking at things like Elder Hostel and, and now Encore. And I, my question is really about to what extent uh, are we seeing something here that's very unique to American culture? And, you know, one of the things that I've always thought about is or wondered about is how different cultures um, uh, interact with people who are aging. You know, we know we have some stereotypes that we talk about in the West that, you know, in, in, in Asian cultures that uh, elderly people are, you know, receive a lot of respect and sometimes stay active in management for a very long time. Um, and in, in America, you know, this, I guess the stereotype has been, unfortunately, that we put our, our elderly out to pasture and, and you know, they, they are not as engaged in the life of the community as they should be. And then, of course, your movements like yours are pushing back on that and, and showing us a different way. But I'm curious, like your reflection on, on how this movement in the United States is, is different than, than the experience of people around the world. Is it different? Is there uh, something happening on the world stage that is related um, to 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 uh, these movements in the United States? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, in 1975, when Marty Knowlton, the founder of Elder Hostel, was traveling through Europe, it was his experience of the ways in which older people in Europe 
European cities, communities that he visited, were far more engaged intergenerationally than they were his experience in the United States. And it became his brainchild to come back to the United States and do something about that. And his notion that ended up combining or bringing people over 60 back to college campuses was Mm. a part of that. So that was very much his inspiration at the time. Uh, The thing that we have in common with many other countries uh, is the fact that the population is aging rapidly. And in some countries like Japan, Germany, the percentage of people over the age of 60 is far greater than it is in the United States already. But everybody seems many of those countries are headed in a direction of having uh, a heavy a heavy percentage of people in this age group. Uh, we aren't the only ones who had a baby boom, for instance. Right. And and some countries uh, economically, socially are beginning to figure out that it's it's unsustainable to have such a high percentage of the population shuffled off to the sidelines. And so um, increasingly, I think some other countries that are facing these issues are coming back to the United States now looking for models and asking, you know, what has been going on here in the last 30 years? And I think that we do have some positive models to offer. Um, and and yet, of course, there are, there are big cultural differences, uh, especially related to uh, reti- required uh, retirement at certain ages. In other countries, people have to retire at 60. They aren't. They don't even have the choice to keep working. And so there are many uh, policy and cultural cultural differences that put constraints on the ability to do something. But um, at, at least finally, in most countries, um, policymakers are are realizing and facing the demographics of aging and. Mark Friedman's message, the founder and CEO of my organization now, Encore.org, is being invited very frequently to travel and help discuss that uh, changing demographic. And what what gave us the current name we use, Encore, is the notion that there's actually a new stage of life. And it's not old age. It's not midlife. It's something in between. And it's as long can be as long as 20 or 30 years after midlife after one's primary career, but during over a stretch of time where one has the opportunity to continue to do a lot of meaningful work, um, be meaningfully engaged and contribute to the community and and contribute to one's family in, in really meaningful ways. So that idea is starting to take hold not only here in the United States, but internationally as well. So we're really seeing in some ways maybe a trend that that had roots in European culture, but now is being articulated in ways that are uh, different both here and abroad, and particularly related to the demographic shifts. Because, as you said, we're in a we're in a situation now where more and more people are able to retain their health and and have substantial longevity, and that's a new experience for many many cultures. Is that a yes. fair way to stay? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. It definitely is. Interesting. I, I, um, I wanted to ask you also specifically about Encore. Now you, you, how long have you been at Encore now? Quite a while with Encore. It's been 12, it's been 12 years now. And I consider the, this work, my Encore career. Uh, I left, I considered my work at Elder Hostel, my primary career. And 
when I shifted my focus, I remained in the field of aging, which was connected to this, you know, that end of the age spectrum. But the work and the focus is very different. And it was also work that was at a beginning stage of early innovation and early ideas and changing norms. And so that old thing came back to bite me again is that I, I wanted to be associated with something that was at the at the front end of of a big what I think will be uh, big developments. Could you tell us a little bit about how this work emerges for Encore? Because I, I am, I'm understanding Encore, there was a time when Encore was Civic Ventures. Did, yes. did, 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 uh, did Civic Ventures itself undergo some kind of transition to this being the focus of its work? Could you t- tell us about that? Well, I would say that um, when, uh, when uh, Civic Ventures got underway, Mark Friedman um, – wrote his first book, which was called Primetime. It was maybe almost 15 years ago when what he was trying to point out at the time was that we had this huge, enormous, untapped human resource that was not being utilized. And even at that, well, especially at that time, there were some opportunities for people to volunteer, but most after they had finished their, in this case, mostly finished their only jobs and main jobs or primary careers and were retired, but people were being asked to do somewhat meaningless work and make work and things that people, other people didn't necessarily want to do. And we, you know, we used at the time the old, you know, the old image of, you know, people, people have more to give than licking stamps (laughs) and envelopes in a back room, which of course is pretty outdated by now. But um, so the early push was on finding meaningful roles for people uh, who could contribute this lifetime of experience and in particular uh, do things that only human beings can do that wasn't being mechanized or uh, technology was replacing. And Mark loves one of his early stories about two women that he met in Portland, Maine, back in those early days who were foster grandparents at a children's hospital there. And their job was to hold and rock babies whose parents lived so far away in the remote regions of Maine that they couldn't be there all the time to be with these children who were kind of long-term being hospitalized. And so Aggie and Louise are two characters uh, that he's, loves to tell stories about uh, understanding the impact of what these two women did uh, to contribute to the lives of these children and their families that uh, were part of this government foster grandparent program uh, and asking, using that as a clarion call for we need more of those kinds of opportunities and roles for people. And then as it moved along um, and that began to pick up, pick up speed, get some traction, people began to pay attention to creating more meaningful roles. The economy also uh, began to push in a direction where people began to say, I'm at a stage in my life where I want to do something that makes a difference. And I want to have an impact. It's I know I don't have, you know, forever to have an impact, make a difference. Um, but I also need some income because I can't retire, I can't afford to retire, or um, or I don't want to retire. So right. how can I do this same kind of meaningful 
work that makes a contribution, but also continue to have some income, whether it's the same income I used to have or I have some resources, but I need to continue to support myself in some ways. So the idea of the encore encore career and that included some income along with the meaningful, uh, purposeful role uh, began to take shape, you know, in the last, you won't, won't be surprised to hear, you know, five to seven years where, right. and, and you couple that with how many baby boomers were now reaching this age, this age range, and 78 million were moving into this category, and 10,000 people a day are turning 60 at this incredible so for 17 over a 17 year span that's happening um there there he began to make this call for we need to have a response to this and there need to be new roles there need to be new pathways for people there need to be opportunities for people to have make a significant impact and have a body of work and for some it they didn't need the pay but so an encore career isn't just paid. You can have an encore career that's pro bono or volunteer, but it's significant. It's over time, and it has uh, important social impact with addressing some of those needs that that we have so much, so many of in our communities, and so few human resources to put to helping solve those problems. Now we're going to talk. I think pretty intensively about two things I want to talk about. Uh, one is I really want to spend a little bit of time talking about what you have written in Life Planning for the Third Age because I think that's a wonderful thing to share with listeners. Um, and then we also want to talk about the College Program Initiative, which I think is just so cool and important. Um, I wonder if you could just give us a brief statement about these two other things that Encore does. I think the fellowships and the Purpose Prize, just so our listeners know a little bit about, you know, the scope of Encore's work. Can you talk just briefly about that? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, The Purpose Prize is about 10 years old now, and each year we have held a a program that invites people to nominate – people over 60 who have begun some important social innovation, social innovative work, either as social entrepreneurs or social intrapreneurs within organizations that they, that were, are significantly different than what they had been doing previously in their lives. And each year we, we have identified five winners with, uh, large cash prizes of $100,000 to uh, to raise awareness about people who are not they're not nec- they're not lifetime achievement awards. These are awards for to make the point that these people are just getting started. So they right. are people at this stage of life who are launching new social enterprises and making a huge difference. So that's what the Purpose Prize recognizes, right. um, and if and we have some fabulous stories on our website that would inspire anyone who chose to read about them. The Encore Fellowship Program is more recent, um, and it's a it's a program that is helping people, primarily from the private sector, make a transition of their skills and their work focus to the nonprofit sector. I see. And so they receive 
a tw- on average a $25,000 stipend to work for six to 12 months part-time in a particular nonprofit doing an identified project, usually capacity related, that that nonprofit organization needs. And that way, the individual gets a chance to, to learn and test out what it's like to work in a diff- in this new different sector, the nonprofit sector, and the non leaders in the nonprofit sector get to see what kind of value and talent someone at this stage of life can actually bring and, and the contribution they can make. So it's a two way two way benefit uh, to have these people being placed in these programs around the country. This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world, from the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions. Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Arch Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Innovate interview with David Castro and Kugi Goggin, Vice President of Encore. And then your work is focused on leading the college initiative, right, which is really about thinking about educational pathways uh, for this work. Do I have that right? Right. And how people might need, um, people who want to pursue Encore careers might need to acquire some new skills and some new knowledge. Yes. Um, And then looking at at really model and innovative programs in that area. I'd like to get into that, but I want to uh, as a gateway into that conversation, I'd just like to ask you to talk a little bit about life planning for the third age, um, which I would really encourage listeners to go and find. It's a terrific uh, resource. I enjoyed looking at it. And um, so first of all, just you know, the third age, you, you sort of touched on this briefly, but the third, t- tell us what we mean by the third age, because I think that's an important concept. Well, the third age is... is uh that stage of life that actually didn't exist previously. Um, most most people in earlier generations worked uh, and then stopped working to retire and got sick and died. That was it. That was the life trajectory. Now, with this, this span of time that we now call the encore stage, uh, people have this extra time, but no one has helped them and there are very few formal ways that people can actually think about how how to navigate this this new stage of life. And so much like a, a student in college gets help thinking about what they want to do next or high school age students get help thinking about what they what they want to pursue. Uh, there's no equivalent institutionalized way for people to think about this. And so the the life planning guide and toolkit is is a toolkit that helps people thinking professionals in particular who might be in a position like career counselors or coaches others who have have that as a professional background how to think about putting together help for people who now need to plan for an entirely 
new and and actually extra stage of life. So it's important to do that because even in financial services, for instance, we're not set up to plan for this stage of life and to say, well, how am I going to finance going back to school? And how can I, what about my obligations with my family and my work? And how, how can I make this happen? There, And what is it I want to do? Many people don't even know exactly what they want to do or they know what their passions are, but they don't know and they may know their talent and experience, but they don't know where and how to apply them in this new way. So there's a need for people to do this work, call it now encore transition work, and there's a need for ways, new ways that help people and support people make that transition. So that's where the life planning uh, concept fits in. There's a wonderful part of the book that talks about key principles, and and there was a a bunch of principles that really stood out for me that I wanted to ask you about. And so you've already touched on the concept of passion and purpose, but this wonderful idea about the role of curiosity, creativity, variety, and sort of non-linearity, you know, I I think one of the things about being a young person today and I have I have four kids who are in school and it's the concept of uh, there's a, just such a strong focus on being practical and putting together something that's going to make sense allowing you to go into the job market and and you know and and uh, uh, earn a living and 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 make a contribution that's based on whatever your skills are and yet you know in the life planning guide there's a big focus on self discovery reflection you know creativity maybe dabbling a little bit trying to trying to experience something new and of course we all know that such such the the pleasure of learning comes from the epiphanies that you have where you find something that you never knew that you would be good at or never thought that you'd be interested in suddenly, you know, you're into something that's fascinating. That, that, that novelty is something that, that I think people, uh, really, uh, resonate with. And, and also in the aging process, this is something that w- with our increasing awareness, uh, that we're, we are running out of time, even though we have time that we didn't expect to have, um, there is a sense of, I've got to do this stuff now, otherwise I may not have an opportunity. So I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about that element of it and um, people exploring things that maybe aren't necessarily practical, but uh, give pleasure because they touch on these other things uh, that, that are so central to the human experience. Oh, I, I just, I think that is so much an important part of of discovery, personal discovery. And at any age, really, it's always been my belief that if with I've said it to my children, and I say it to myself, and I say it to my friends and colleagues, those who are exploring this, especially the notion that it's a journey, not a destination. And, and that we deserve to have joy and passion and meaning in our lives. And that discovering what what those are is not a straight line and and my own experience has been that it that it is experiential for the most part it's a zigzag um and it involves um trying things out but it but if you try things out and fail to come back to a place of reflection and then moving forward again uh you're going to miss the pieces that are important in the cycle of of this discovery this uh journey. So it, it's, it's not, 
it's not a completely freelance, free floating experience, in my opinion. It it has some structure around it that right. can be most helpful for people to test things out, to get advice, to talk to others, to but then to reflect and then to decide on a next step to taste and touch and feel and try on these various things. And I think, especially at a later stage of our lives, we, we might have our heads down a bit too much and we might and might be a little bit overcome by this notion that I don't have that much time. Um, but I, I think the process is, is the same um, as we're older is that um, if we can, and you know, this, this doesn't, I don't want to minimize, you know, sort of the stresses and strains of being suddenly unemployed or, right. um, you know, not being, not having income that you were relying on and have and the needing to do something instantly. But, um, but if we're in a position, that's why I say this planning, this life planning should be happening among younger people as well as people my age, because you know, this is the new reality and this life stage is here to stay, in my opinion. So um, thinking about this trajectory at all stages of your life and, and making sure you're you're filling your life with these opportunities to test things out. I mean, we talk, there's a, my one of my colleagues, Marcy Albaher, has written a, a new book and it's one that would really, it follows on to the uh, life planning guide is the Encore Career Handbook, and it's for individuals, right. and it's it's a very practical how-to with lots of suggestions about how to go about doing this. So um, she incorporates a lot of those same ideas in in that book that I recommend to people as well. Um, could you tell us? I wonder. I'm sure you come across many many stories like this, but um, is there one that sticks out? Uh, in your mind in terms of something unusual where you had, say, uh, uh, a, a banker who became an artist or, a, there, you know, it's, it's something that where, where when you hear the story, you're like, wow, I would never have imagined that that was possible. Is there, I'm sure there are, but uh, is there one that comes to mind for you? Well, there, there, are, there are numerous, numerous stories. <laughs> but um, one, uh, one story uh, is about... Uh, Paula Crespin, who uh, was a former credit union employee in Denver, and uh, she was connected so strongly to watching her daughter uh, move into an inner city classroom as part of Teach for America that she decided to apply for the program herself. And <laughs> and she, she ended up going off and actually living in a college dormitory during a hot summer I think it was in Texas to do the training program, but she was by far the oldest person there. Um, but, but in the end, I mean, she she actually landed in a classroom doing what she admired that her daughter was doing, and and didn't let those kinds of obstacles overcome her. Uh, by the same token, I met a woman in Phoenix who had been a hotel employee, uh, chambermaid whose husband had the main income for the family, but he became ill and she went back to the community college there and got trained as an in-home caregiver uh, first to help with her husband. But then it's in such high, that role is in such high demand that she became uh, part of an agency that was providing in-home care. And she, 
she actually took a step up economically from what she was what she was doing, how she was making her income, because she had to become the primary uh, income producer in that family. And then she used the money from that, from those jobs that she got to actually help pay for tuition to continue through their healthcare program to get higher and higher level skills and roles. And I found her story extremely inspiring because uh, she didn't expect this to happen to her. She, uh, but ended up with things being more positive in the end than anything she might have ever imagined. That's terrific. So we've covered so much ground, and I really want to spend uh, some time now talking about the role of colleges and your work in this. In this, and if you could, if you could summarize, I think what are the objectives of the college program initiative, and maybe give us an example because examples are so illustrative of an institution that's doing the kind of work that you are advocating. Sure. Well, our vision for this uh, college, this college part of the uh, Encore idea is that we want to see a future where higher education institutions have created lots and lots of programs that help people at this stage of life, uh, their alumni, their own faculty and staff, and their community people make a transition into an encore of their choosing and one that carries social impact. And we'd like to have in the future a, a picture that whenever someone finds themselves having an aha moment that, oh, this is where I am now in my life and this is what's next for me, but I don't know how to do it and I don't even know how to figure out what to do, that these become so uh, well proliferated across the country that people cannot would automatically think of their local college, a community college or a four-year institution or their alma mater as a place to go because there would, there would be so many more of these programs available. Not everyone needs that to make a transition, but many people do. Many people need new skills. They need, they need things in a couple of categories. Some people just need help thinking through the transition and making the transition. Some sub-slice of those people might need more training they, they're, or they're completely changing sectors, moving from the private sector to the nonprofit sector. Some are thinking of becoming, you know, having a starting up a social innovation that they don't know how to do whatever it is and have the skills to do to be successful as a social entrepreneur. So higher education is a major pathway for, for the millions of people who are interested in doing this kind of work. And we've worked over the last few years with a large number of community colleges. And some of the things that community colleges developed had to do with helping people get certified to be teachers, or um, in one case, uh, people who already had advanced degrees like masters and legal degrees were being trained to become adjunct instructors at the community college itself to help underprepared students be successful at the college level. Um, in addition to those who went into K through 12 classrooms, uh, there's a program in Portland, Oregon that is that is using peer students over the age of 40 to help other students over 40 who are coming into their gerontology program to get a one-year gerontology certificate that helps people launch uh, new careers in the, in the field of aging. 
be help them navigate the college environment, which they haven't been in for many years. Um, I mentioned the program in Phoenix that is helping people move up a healthcare career ladder to certificates and degrees. And at the four-year level, we're um, we're finding a lot of interest among alumni in coming back to their institutions at reunion time and having the institution provide programming for them that's different from the usual, you know, parties and opportunities to take cruises to Greece and and colleges and universities are wanting to engage their alumni more deeply and are putting encore programming together, both for homecomings and reunion programs, but also we've worked with Northwestern University and Harvard School of Business and Brandeis University and a host of others to put on webinars and programs for college alumni. Uh, There are some other more major programs in the works. Uh, Pace University in New York will host an encore transition program. It won't, it'll be a uh, a six-week-long program that launches in November that people who are still working can take advantage of because the the programming is available on the weekends and in the evenings. Um, it's not for credit, but it's a program designed to help people think through an encore transition and to be connected to local nonprofit organizations. So the way we're encouraging this work among colleges and universities to say, we're not planning to come here with a model that we hand you and you you implement it. We're coming to you and asking you to be co-creators with us using your institutional strengths and passion and and your work that you're already doing, but to adapt it to this age group and this population's needs uh, to help them be successful in making a transition to an encore. And I, I can't remember if you covered this, but do you have a very exciting project going on right now with the American Association of Community Colleges? Am I right about that? Yes, yes. The American Association of Community Colleges is now working with close to 100 community colleges across the country who are innovating in this area. It's called the, the Plus 50 Encore Completion Program, and they're, they're helping colleges and universities get prepared and ready to launch a variety of programs and to create a, a network of cooperation among those colleges that, that is helping them uh, launch these kinds of encore programs. That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say that we've actually come to the end of our time together. It seems like we've covered so much ground. And, and I, I want to uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, all this information about what you do. And I want to say that we definitely have to have you back on again uh, because there's mu- so much more to talk about. If our listeners are interested in, in supporting uh, your work and your organization, the best place for them to go would be Encore.org. Is that correct? That's correct. And is there any place else do you guys are you on well, Facebook I, or, or? Um, yes, we uh, we'll be launching a LinkedIn group soon uh, for the Higher Education Initiative group, and so by going to Encore.org/colleges, you'll be able to see a lot more about the work that we're doing with the colleges, and uh, and you could also send an email to me if you like to get put on that list, which is my first initial last name, Jay Goggin at Encore.org, and I'd be happy to get any listeners connected to the uh, networking group that's coming soon. 
That is so great. Well, we will make sure that we put up all those uh, contact points uh, uh, as part of the link to this podcast. And um, I, I was looking at uh, quotes about second acts, uh, and uh, the, I, I came across one from F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. He said that in American life, uh, there are no second acts. And after speaking with you for an hour, we can definitely say that he was wrong. <laughs> and um, and uh, I thought also I found a great one uh, from, from Thoreau. He, he said, uh, none are so old. As those who have outlived enthusiasm. So I want to thank you for keeping enthusiasm alive. And uh, thanks for joining us today. And thank you so much for your inspiring work, you know, helping people find meaningful encore careers. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org. 